This is the Steelers Standard on Steelers Nation Radio and Podcast on Steelers.com. Tom Offerman and Jacob Recht with you on another edition of the Steelers Standard. Got a new feature we're unveiling on Friday episodes of the Steelers Standard. Fireside Fridays. NFL debut Mm. last night with a Thursday night football game between the Cowboys and the Buccaneers. All the action in the NFL Sunday afternoon. So what we do here is we have takes about the game last night. We have takes about the games coming up this weekend. And we have takes about just some overall storylines going on in the NFL. But we don't just give you these takes plain and boring. We roast these takes over an open fire. So, Jacob, can you please, can you light our fire for us, please? <coughs> oh, my God. Sorry. Are you okay? No, I mean, you made me do this all my, <coughs> all on my own. It is, it is tough to light a fire inside of the studio. There's smoking <coughs> hazards the, going on. The, I took the, the batteries out of the smoke detectors. The I took too? the batteries out. Don't worry. We're okay. good. <coughs> light that thing up. Right, it's up, Tom. You just got to get closer oh, here. Oh, wow. Mm. Wow, it feels warm. Wow, that's a fire. That thing and, is on I mean, fire. It's 80 degrees outside. Do we really need a fire? Wow. Do we really need a fire? We need it's a fire. We need a outside. fire. I need to roast these takes over this open fire. And let's get started with the Buccaneers and the Cowboys game last night. Mwah! Chef's kiss way to start the NFL season. You could not have, have asked for a better game. High scoring, close game, a little bit of a comeback effort. A little bit. And, 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 well, in, in more ways than one, a comeback both effort of by the came team. Back. A, a comeback effort by, by both teams, but a, a great comeback performance by Dak Prescott. You could not have asked for a better game. And, of course, a nice little pass interference on the last drive okay. to really serve the pot. Well, let's start right there uh, We before we talk about anything else. That's the biggest controversy coming from this game is the push-off by Chris Godwin. It's insane to me how obvious that was as a push off and how obvious that's offensive pass interference. And you know just what I love? How many people on Twitter are so adamant that it's not? And I'm talking about blue check marks. I've seen Chris Mortensen say it. I've seen Jeff Schwartz say that it's not a push off. I've seen so many people say, that's a great call. I'm so glad that the ref swallowed the whistle there. And I'm like, are you guys all trolling us? Like, that is the most obvious OPI I've ever seen in my life. It kind of reminded me about last year when the holding calls for offensive linemen really took a step back. Really, you saw the numbers go way down. And the referee said, yeah, you're right. We should have made more calls. I I really hope that this isn't the case this year for for offensive PI. I, I don't want receivers to be given the benefit of the doubt because that was blatant, a, a blatant push, Tom. And what I, what I was trying to say to start was, you know what I love is the fact that week one, Tom Brady and his receivers once again get away with a nice little push off, and Brady and Al Rivera are probably smoking cigars right now, wherever they are in Tampa or in New York, saying, you know what, this, you want to you talk about Brady to Moss or, or Brady to Gronk is the best tandem? It's Brady to Rivera as the best tandem in the NFL. <laughs> it's just his arm was fully extended out. People keep trying to throw this BS out there. Well, well, the defensive back was kind of on his heels, and he was off balance. He was in poor position there. He got stiff-armed like Desmond Howard doing the Heisman pose into the dirt. Like, I like don't, Derrick Henry on anyone. I don't get the disconnect. Like We can all just admit openly, Kumbaya as a family on social media and a football-watching family, 
that was obviously offensive pass interference. It's okay to say that the refs missed a call. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not some big blasphemy where it's like, no, you know what? It's almost like people have to, like, show that they're a little bit smarter than everybody else. And everybody else is like, oh, that's obviously offensive pass interference. And then the blue check marks have to be like, well, you know what? Actually, that's not pass interference. And let me explain to you why this very specific example is a perfect play by the offensive player. It's like... Dude, quit trying to make it seem like you know better than everybody else and make it seem like you're holier than thou when it comes to covering football. Everybody knows that was offensive pass interference. My mother, who barely watches football, knows that was offensive pass interference. He pushed the guy into the ground. Yeah, you don't need a PhD in NFL no, films watching. to know that. You know that's pass interference. You could be exactly like you said. You, you could be some person who doesn't watch sports or not a fan and say, hey, didn't that guy just – Push off of the of the other guy. Didn't the guy in that white jersey push off the guy in the in the red or the red jersey push off the guy in the white jersey? Is that allowed? Should that be allowed? No, it absolutely should not be allowed. And I, do you think some of these people who, with as you said on Twitter, with the blue check marks, are only saying this to, not just to get like the hot take and say, oh, I agree and seem smarter, but kind of cozy up to the logo? Do you think that's to the bucket to the league logo or yeah, the bucket logo? logo? Man, I don't know. That's possible, I guess. You don't need to cozy up to the league if you're Chris Mortensen, though. I mean, you're Chris Mortensen. I mean, you, yeah, you're, you're established. You've been around forever. I, I'd say that's the biggest name that I saw. That say that it was a good play. Yeah. Yeah. Because, like, Mina Kimes was out there saying, like, how it's the most obvious OPI, and her mentions were flooded by guys like Schwartz and and uh, maybe Dominique Foxworth as well, just being like, oh, you know, that doesn't really look like a pass interference to me. And it's, it's just complete and utter BS. And but it's, it's ridiculous that Dominique Foxworth is saying that when he played on defense. It's, it's important. I don't want to disparage his name it might not have been him but i just want to also say although we are bitching about the refs right now that was not the reason why the cowboys lost this football game the cowboys shot themselves in the foot several times the cowboys did or just one guy specifically yeah. who uses his foot shot themselves exactly. in the foot a lot of zerline one of the most established kickers in football mm -hmm. i mean greg's been around for a while yeah got his own nickname he's made 60 yard field goals in the past i don't really blame him for missing the 60 yarder at the end of the half that's a tough field goal to make no matter what i mean if if you're morton anderson or not morton anderson, if uh greg the leg uh whichever anderson is is the greatest kicker to ever live that's morton anderson you it's morton anderson. It, okay yeah. i got it right okay so yeah if you're that guy if you're out of an Terry, it doesn't matter. The 60 yards is going to be it's going to be hard to make, but but the 30 yarder one, there, there, and, and, and the extra point, the extra uh, point that was come on. real bad as well. That's your job. And you know what? They lose by two, and he left four points on the board. So that is obviously something that really hindered the Cowboys. But one thing, if you're a Cowboys fan, that you got to feel real good about. I, I don't think you can walk away from this game as a Cowboys fan and feel that upset. Obviously, you wish you would have won the game, and you kind of had the game won, so it kind of stings that way. But you went down to Tampa against the Super Bowl champs, went 12 rounds with them, threw them their best punch, and most importantly, number four looks damn good. Your quarterback looks like he is all the way back. No problems with the injury lingering at all. 403 yards. He passed the ball 58 times. He had three tutties, and he did have one interception, a rating of 101.4, and he was only sacked once. Dak Prescott looked real good. Pretty good. Game. Pretty good for this guy's first quarter or football action since October of 2020. Yes. And and they, I don't know if you, you caught this, when the game was over, when Dak and Brady met at midfield, 
they embraced and said some words. And, and Dak, you could kind of say, said, we'll see y'all again, kind of hinting at the postseason, saying you can't just think that we're not going to be here again for a rematch. We'll, we'll, we'll be ready to show up. If that offense can play like that for the majority of the season, they'll, be, they'll win the NFC East. Well, okay, now that you brought that up, good time or a good way to segue into I think what should be the next big point was yes they look great on offense passing the ball but Ezekiel Elliott was a non-factor had four carries to the first half for only 12 yards I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt in week one because I think that's probably the best run defense in the NFL but that's just in week one. He did not still look like himself out there. He, no, looks, he, was he getting, looks a step slower. He was going. He was getting thrown to the ground on almost every play. And it's, he just looks weaker. Not slower, but weaker. Yeah, and what's weird is, like, obviously he kind of had a power element to his game before, but he could still make people miss, and he mm. still had that speed aspect to the game. He would bounce to the outside last night, and, like, the first guy he'd see, he'd almost – get tackled on his own like he just dip a shoulder into him try to get an extra yard off and of it just go and just go right down and it's just not something you've seen from Zeke in the past before last year you kind of saw the wheels coming off a little bit and but now that could this, be expected with, with no Dak Dak and, out. And, and you're kind of negating one half of your offense but now this year I mean that 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 is 11 carries 33 yards a 3.0 average a 13 yard long run for Zeke Elliott again one of the best run defenses in the NFL obviously with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers but you saw how much Dak still went with play action even though the running game wasn't that effective play action is a huge part for this Cowboys offense and if we're in week six and week seven and Zeke's not been effective yet they're gonna stop biting on the play action the opposing defenses so their offense is really centered around Dak obviously but he needs Zeke back there to really get the most out of it absolutely I mean this this offense that we saw for the first couple of years of which Dak and Zeke were on the same team and Dak was healthy so that excludes 2020 was an incredible offense and then when they brought in Amari Cooper you really saw it take off because even though they had some legitimate options at wide receiver, Amari Cooper was the big star that they got in free agency and, and give a lot of credit to uh, Jerry Jones for kind of finagling John Gruden there and Mike Mayock in, 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 in Oakland at the time. But this was a, this was supposed to be one of the better offenses, and it, sh it, it had a good night last night. The passing game was ridiculous. The passing game was Absurd, ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, Amari Cooper ate, C.D. Lamb ate. It was a great day. Michael Gallup had some clutch catches. And, and Dalton thorn, Schultz had six catches. Between. Yeah, there you go. But to have Zeke not be a factor, I mean, you're kind of saying, which isn't the most egregious request, but you're kind of saying to Dak, go out there and win this game for us week in week out which wasn't always the case when it was Dak and Zeke at the top of their games well Dak almost went out there and won the game for the Cowboys had them in the lead with a little over a minute to go but I think everybody in America watching that game said to themselves that is just way too much freaking time for number 12 to only need to get into field goal range and mm -hmm. I mean, I, obviously he was helped with that Godwin push up, but push off. But I got to be honest with you, even if they called that, I probably think Brady still gets him into the range where he at least has a makeable field goal shot to win the football game. It's exactly what happened. Brady threw two interceptions. They neither of them were his fault. The one was at the end of the half. He just threw it up for grabs in the end zone to try to get a touchdown, a, a miracle touchdown out of the way. 
and then one went just right through the hands of Leonard Fournette. Mm -hmm. Tampa Bay had some turnover problems. Obviously, Chris Godwin's fumble at the goal line. I mean, Tampa Bay looked like they were going to go in to cover the spread of nine points, and then all of a sudden Godwin fumbles and the Cowboys go down the field, and now you have to scramble to kick a field goal to win if you're Tampa Bay. So there were some ball security problems with the Buccaneers, but I think he's found a favorite target. And Steelers fans, you're not going to like it. But it's number 81, Antonio Brown. That dude looked like the old Antonio Brown. Five catches, 121 yards, and a touchdown. 24.2-yard average per reception for Brown. What a deep threat he was. Burned the cornerback from Dallas like a cheap cigar on a double move on the deep touchdown pass that Brady threw to him. That was vintage A.B., uh, look, Godwin had nine catches for 105 yards, too, and a touchdown. And obviously, Gronk had a humongous game. But, man, that Brady-AB connection. Scary. I, I hate to say this, but that's going to be booming all year long. It, it easily could be. And that's something that we've been kind of predicting on this show for a while, saying when we did our all-time standard. He's going to be a top-five receiver this year. Boom. I think he easily could be. Yeah. I think I – think when he when you miss the first eight or nine weeks of a season, it's really hard to come back in full stride compared to the player that you once were for whoever whatever your impact was on a team, no matter the position. But we know AB's impact on on this team and or on the Steelers team rather. And when you're coming into a new system, a new team, and, and you're missing the first half of the season, it's it's hard to really hit your stride like you did when you were an all pro four years in a row but now tom he had a full training camp he had a full preseason he had a full off season to to cope or, or, or to 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 get back into the th- swing to get of acclimated more, with yeah. the same team he played mm-hmm. with last year and yeah he kind of looks like the ab of, of 2014 through 2017 well tampa bay got things started with a big win over the dallas cowboys thursday night before we get into some big matchups coming up on sunday and potentially monday night we got to talk about what's going on in baltimore man first of all jk dobbins their pick last year people wanted the steelers to take him but the steelers went chase claypool instead the ravens snagged up dobbins he was a beast for them last season in the running game he goes down with an injury and they're thinking okay You know, we still got Justice Hill. We still got Gus Edwards. We obviously still got Lamar Jackson. Running game should be okay. Justice Hill goes down a few days later. Everybody's starting to panic a little bit. Now we're only down to Gus Edwards. we got to make a move. What do we do? We go out and we sign Le'Veon Bell to the practice squad. A bit of an odd move, but that's what the Ravens decided to go with. But you know what? They're still thinking, okay, you know, we still got Gus Bus. He was really a good running back, a serviceable running back for the past couple years for us. Lamar, obviously, again, still a great runner. And yesterday, the Ravens cut practice short because, <laughs> unbelievably, Gus this Edwards. This is unbelievable. I mean, you say it's unbelievably, but this is the definition of the word. Gus Edwards tears his ACL, and he is out for the entire season. All three of their starting or their top three running backs on their depth chart heading into the offseason and into the preseason are now on the sidelines, not just for a significant amount of time, but for the entire year. Now your best runner of the football is obviously Lamar Jackson. Is Tyson Williams going to be the guy who comes up and plays and gets a lot of carries for the for the Ravens at running back? That's who they're talking about right now on Good Morning Football. Is Le'Veon Bell? Obviously he's going to be ascended from the practice squad to play on the real squad. They need him to. How effective is he going to be just showing up in Baltimore? I got you got you can legitimately question if the guy's in, in good enough shape. I mean, with TJ Watt, that was not a legitimate question. With Bell, it is because he's shown up out of shape before. Mm-hmm. 
So you got to wonder how it's going to take for him to get in the game shape, for him to be the back. They're in some serious trouble in Baltimore. In, in fact, you know, this has me thinking that the Steelers can definitely pass them for second place in the AFC North now. We were already talking about them, the Steelers being capable of passing the Ravens. I think it's more I think it's likely now that that's I think the case. I think it's at, it's it's almost a I don't want to call it a certainty, but the, I'm sure the, You look I, at the Steelers and say they're a better team now. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you to lose your top three running backs, right? And it's been a twenty day, less than twenty. Day, I think it's like eighteen days. They they lost it their top three guys. Be mentioned too that Marcus Peters was lost as well. Well, so what I was going with the unbelievable narrative is the fact that they lost Gus Edwards. They had to they had to take him off the field and everything. The Ravens resumed practice. The very next play, back to back plays, Marcus Peters goes down. And then after that they happened, they just can't. They said we can't afford to lose the third guy. It's weird. Like, is there a turf problem on the Ravens' practice field? Like that. This. I don't know. This is and, something. And, and the fact that it's the same injury, it makes you raise that question. And and this is something. Yeah, exactly. Like if I was in Harbaugh's, you know, closed room meeting with the rest of the coaches and you know, the field maintenance team, honestly, I'd be like. Guys, what's going on here? Like, You're killing this, my team. This is not heard of. Like you, of course, injuries happen in the off season and throughout training camp. The Chargers lost Derwin James last year for the entire season in training camp, but like all four safeties didn't go down for the Chargers. You know, like his backup was still able to start for the entire season for them. Why are all of our players, all of our, especially all of our players that need to stop and cut on a dime and really use that lateral movement, that quick movement that the ACL is so important for? Why are all these guys going down? And obviously the running backs are a huge loss, but can't overlook that loss of Marcus Peters and what it does to that secondary. Because with him and Marlon Humphrey, that's one of the better one-two punches at cornerback in the NFL. And now they lose Marcus Peters. They're a team that can be had. No question about that, that the Ravens are a vulnerable team now. And, yeah, I thought when it was just down to Gus Edwards that the Steelers probably had them tracked down, at least on paper. And now with Edwards and Marcus Peters going down, yeah, I'm ready to elevate the Steelers above the Baltimore Ravens. So I never want to see players get injured. I want to see teams compete at full strength and see who's the best of the best. But, man, selfishly, as a Steelers fan, this is good news that the Ravens are going to be dealing with San Francisco 49ers-level injuries, it seems, this season. And when you add the fact that you know Lamar Jackson struggles mightily against the Steelers, even though they ran for, what, 270 yards against the Steelers in that one game last year when they actually had their starters out there because the second game of the season, the Thanksgiving game that was delayed by six days, it was the B team. There, there weren't many starters, including Lamar Jackson, out on the field for Baltimore. But the times that Lamar Jackson, three games Lamar Jackson's played against the Steelers, he has struggled mightily compared to the rest of the league of which he's performed against. And when you take away not just his starting or his second string or his third his third string running back. When you take away all three of those guys, you're kind of saying to yourself, I, I saw this meme on Twitter. You know in the NBA Finals in the bubble when it was the Heat against the Lakers and Jimmy Butler was exerting himself so much? There's that meme of him leaning over and he's just panting up and down. His whole body is shaking. You know which one I'm talking about, yes, Tom? Yes, I do. It was when Lamar Jackson... At the end of the game when Lamar Jackson has handed the ball off to himself 50-plus times in a given game, I mean, that's what the Ravens are going to have to do. We know that Rashad Bateman is going to be unavailable, one of their first-round draft picks that they had this year because it was a big deal, the fact that the Ravens had this elite 
quarterback in Lamar Jackson, but no real elite receivers. Yes, they have Mark Andrews, but at the receiving core, there are no legitimate names. And to lose your first-round guy on top, he, he won't be out for the season like the, like the running backs, but you're really limiting Lamar Jackson and what he can do for you. Obviously, it's not the Ravens' fault, but it's just it's just happenstance and circumstance that Lamar Jackson is 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 kind of playing quarterback with not just it doesn't feel like one hand but both hands and maybe even a leg tied behind his back that's the effort he's going to have to to put out this year is playing with three guys that he was expected to have it, it's just it's kind of a shame too because we know that he was uh, the MVP of the league 2 years ago and you kind of you're excited when when young guys emerge, and we we had said that Lamar Jackson is going to fade out. He's just the next RG three, where elite, where teams are going to discover him, or teams are going to learn his his style, and, and it's going to be out of this league within the, the within the next season or two. That wasn't the case with Lamar Jackson. The Ravens ended the year with a five game winning streak, en route to winning their first playoff game in the Lamar Jackson era. This guy is legitimate, I think, at this point you can call him. And it's a shame that now it's not necessarily that he's hurt, but the team around him is struggling so mightily. NFL Week 1 Sunday is such an event in all of America, and there are some very heavy matchups coming at you right away as things get started. Uh, the marquee matchup in the 1 o'clock window is your Steelers versus the Buffalo Bills. That is the league dog, but some other ones that are interesting in that window, Jacob. Cardinals at Tennessee, that's two teams that have playoff aspirations. Seattle goes to Indianapolis, the new-look Colts, and Chargers going to the Washington football team. Washington football team's only a, or the Washington football team is a one-point favorite in that game, so that is a very interesting matchup as well to me. And then one matchup between two teams that don't have playoff inspir- uh, aspirations in that 1 o'clock window, but I'm still going to be keeping an eye on, is the revenge game for Sam Darnold when the uh, New York Jets come into Carolina to face off against the Carolina Panthers. I don't so. think you can even call it a revenge game. I think it's going to be a revenge slaughter. I think the Carolina team is going to whoop up on this New York Jets team, offensively and defensively. You don't have any hesitation, though, just with the unknown of Zach Wilson? Like, what, I don't. If, what if he balls out? Like, Because I don't think Elijah Vera Tucker is going to be enough to protect for one him. guy. Yeah, I think that the O-line is going to crumble, and defensively, I don't think they have much talent. That I, think, t- I think Sam Darnold could have a day, a big day. That Titans-Cardinals game is interesting to me as well. I think... I really want to get a good look at this Titans offense, but I also like the test that this Titans defense is going up against right away. Right. I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. It's obviously the weakest link for Tennessee is that defense. They invested in Bud Dupree this offseason as well as some other players to try to shore things up there. So I'm interested to see how they go up against one of the more prolific offenses, or at least what's expected to be one of the more prolific offenses in football with one of the most dynamic quarterbacks in Kyler Murray. So – uh, obviously, you want to see Julio Jones and how he meshes with that Tennessee Titans offense, which should be top five in the NFL if all things work out for them. But more so, I want to see how that defense can respond to a legitimate threat offensively. And if, if that Tennessee defense can keep them to like 15, 20 points for the Cardinals and, and they score 30 themselves, then you know that's off to a great start. And things are looking real good for Tennessee to kind of inch their way into that Buffalo, Kansas City side of the conversation as the season works on. Yeah, for sure, but I'll 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 take it from the from the the other perspective for Arizona. 
when you're playing in the NFC West, you need to stack wins as early as you can. And if you're Kyler Murray trying to establish yourself as one of the better quarterbacks, one of the elite playmakers in this league, knowing you're going up against this weak defense of Tennessee, you got to go out there and ball. I mean, you just got A.J. Green handed to you, who apparently is looking great in training camp in the preseason, looking like the A.J. Green of old. And he's not even going to be wide receiver one on this team because you have DeAndre Hopkins available to you. I think if you're Arizona, when you're going up against your NFC West opponents, you have to do the, you have to put yourself in the best position and beat the teams that you think that offensively you can outduel. And I, I bet you, Kyler Murray, Kyler Murray is looking across the hall at Ryan Tannehill and saying, "I can outbeat, I can outduel this guy. I'm Kyler Murray. I mean." Yeah, he's got Derrick Henry, but he doesn't have my speed and my mobility and my and my quarterback arm. I think the Arizona Cardinals, even though it's week one, it's it's a very important step for them to get off on the right foot if they want to make a playoff push. Rams and Bears is the Sunday night football game. That game's kind of meh to me. It's the first week of the year, though, so obviously there's interest in it, but eh, I don't really care about especially that game. Especially if, if Andy Dalton's yeah, playing. Yeah, and he is, so it's, it's especially well, that's like, what whatever. I meant, because he's playing. If Justin Fields are playing... It'd be, a, I think, a must-see a must must game. game. Yeah. Uh, Ravens at Raiders. Obviously, there's interest there just because it's the Ravens, and that has AFC North race implications, as well as just AFC playoff implications with the Raiders involved as well. But the big game— Well, hold on. Dale and Matt said yesterday when they were doing the drive, the Ravens' news about Marcus Peters and Jake and sorry, Gus Edwards was unfolding. They were looking at this week one matchup and saying, the Raiders could win this Wait game. Wait till you get to my triple play pick at the very end. Okay. It's part of it. Finally, though, the biggest game of the week is Chiefs and Browns rematch of the AFC Divisional game. It's at Arrowhead. We all remember when the Browns beat the Steelers last season in the playoffs to try to rehab ourselves back to full strength as Steelers fans. And, and some chicken soup for our soul was to say, ah, the Browns are going to get slaughtered by Mahomes and the Chiefs anyway next week, so what's the difference? That was not the case. The Browns really gave them everything they could handle, and the Chiefs needed a fourth-down conversion from their backup quarterback just to ice that game. So I'm looking forward to this Browns and Chiefs matchup on Sunday. I, I think it's going to be real close, and I, I think we're going to have a lot of fun in the Steelers Radio Network headquarters watching that one as we do the postgame show. That's that's a hell of a football game. I wish that was the Sunday night game. I mean, I'll, there are three – four o'clock games that I wish were the Sunday night game over Chicago and LA only because Justin Fields is not playing, but that one, I mean, it's, it's crazy. That That's the game of the week for sure. I think it's the game of, the, uh, I don't for know. Sure. For I sure think it is. Packer saints. Jameis is just, if it was Drew Brees, maybe, but Jameis is just, but that defense could really keep things interesting. It's the, Brown, the new Orleans defense. Brown's chiefs. I mean, come on. It's Mahomes. It's Baker. Two, two contenders in the AFC. No one's really putting the Saints in that contender category. You're right. And uh, I like the way that the Browns play, man. I do. I, I think it's going to be a real close game in Kansas City. In fact, let's use that as a good point to jump into okay. our final segment here on Fireside Fridays. It's called the Triple Play. Jacob and I are going to pick three games on the schedule. We've got to use the spread, though, because if you didn't utilize the spread, then we could just be like, well, whoever plays Houston and whoever plays the Bengals. That's who I'm picking. Not going to be the case, though. We're going to pick with the spread. We each need to come with three teams that we want to win. We'll keep track. We'll have standings, and we'll we'll do some wager at the end of the year for who has the better picks. But I'll, I'll kick things off and go first. I'll let you kind of marinate and think on things. My first pick in the triple play, I'm going with the Tennessee Titans. They're giving three points to the Arizona Cardinals at home. 
that's a tough spread. Obviously, you, you kind of just automatically give the three points when you're the home team. So uh, Vegas thinks this game is relatively even. I think the Titans pull away and win this by at least a touchdown. So I'm going with the Titans as my first one. My number two pick in the triple play, I'm going with the Cleveland Browns heading into Kansas City. I don't think the Browns are going to win this game, but I think it's going to be like a field goal margin of victory for the Chiefs. So the Browns getting five and a half points. I like Cleveland to keep it within that spread. So give me the Browns at five and a half. And finally, like I alluded to, Jacob, I got the Raiders plus four on Monday Night Football. I don't even know if I need the plus four, though, because I think they are going to win that game outright. There's just so much crap being hurled at the Ravens right now. And then they got to go on a West Coast trip to Vegas to play against the Raiders. That stadium's going to be rocking. First time that's going to be a full house out there in their new stadium uh, after COVID obviously ruined that last year for them. So I'm going with the Raiders plus four. Titans minus three, Browns plus five and a half, Raiders plus four. That's Tom Opperman's triple play for week one. All right, Tom, I got a couple of other ones. You took the big games, but I'll take the, the less tantalizing ones. So Atlanta minus three and a half at home. I thought about that one. I think Atlanta could have a field day with this Philadelphia defense. I don't really see them being much of a threat. I, it could be a high-scoring game, but I do think that my, Matt Ryan paired with Calvin Ridley, paired with Kyle Pitts, I think, could have a good day to start the season. And that's always important for this Atlanta team who kind of fumbles the ball at, at the end of the season or at the, at the end of the game. So Atlanta at home, minus three and a half. That's my first one. Second one, I'm surprised you didn't go with this one, Tom. Miami, or Miami, Minnesota on the road against the Bengals. Only minus three. Yeah, for the, only for minus the Minis- three is why for I didn't the go Minis- with it. Minnesota Vikings. What the hell do they know that we don't know? Why is that only minus three? That's why do I was they do they it. think that Cincinnati is going to be this this surprise juggernaut that that could that could beat any team on any given week? I mean, if this game were at home for the Vikings, it clearly would be a minus six. But I still would take the minus six if it was Minnesota at home against Cincinnati. That one to me seemed pretty obvious. And then my final one for me. Mm, I should I change my mind no, on this? I no. don't know. Should I change? I'm going to change my mind on this one. For Denver and um, on the road against the Giants, Denver is minus three. I'm going with the Giants yeah. at plus three yep. here. I don't know yep. why. That's Again, I don't know what what Vegas is saying that something they don't know that we or something they know that we don't know. I got the Giants winning this game, yep. even though I think yep. the Broncos have a good defense. I do think with Saquon Barkley coming back. I think the Giants can easily cover that. I think the Giants yep. can, can win the game, especially. It's always great to take a home underdog. So, yeah, Giants plus three, I think that's a great bet. There's our triple plays. Jacob Scott Falcons minus three and a half. Minnesota minus three. Giants plus three. I, again, have Titans minus three. Browns plus five and a half. Raiders plus four. Feel free to use those picks to try and make some money. But we are not responsible for any losses <laughs> that you suffer throughout this NFL season. That's going to do it for this episode of Steeler Standard and today's Fireside Friday. I got to go outside and drink some water. I am sweating. It was a terrible idea to start that fire. I, I hate this idea. Inside in that trash can. We might have to revisit this next week. Uh, but uh, you I, I the, tra- the the fire that I spent so much time making a trash can. No, of a it's fire? a trash can fire. But, but and my mean by that is it's literally in the trash can right now in yeah, your studio. Yeah, but I worked hard on the it. Fire. We'll have to revisit this. It's so freaking hot in here. But that's going to do it for this episode. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Steelers Standard. For Jacob Recht, I'm Tom Opperman. We'll talk to you on our next episode. And thanks again for listening to Steelers Nation Radio.